Everyone, 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 thank you for joining the show. Another episode of Heal Thyself. I appreciate you tuning in. Of course, as always, for my regular listeners, so much love. For my regular viewers, so much love. If you're new, I really hope you enjoy this. I'm going to tell you, you might get addicted. And that's a good thing. That's a good form of addiction, right? The empowering form of addiction. Good show today. We're going to talk about lipstick. How many women are wearing them? And men. So we need to get into the details. What are you putting on your body? You know I love uh, cosmetic, environmental medicine, all this stuff. So got a lot of good information for you all. Uh, then we'll, we'll review my favorite ones. Not that I use personally, but the ones that I researched. And then you all can try them out. And then uh, Max, my guy Max Lugavere is going to be here. And, uh, you know, he, if you don't know him by now, he's really popular in this, um, in this field. And he has so much good information. So, yeah, we're going right into it. Let us start the show. Heal thyself. Lipstick, lipstick, lipstick. This is a staple in uh, women's lives and some men. But um, you all need to know how to approach lipstick, right? There's got to be good quality lipstick because it's no joke. I'm going to tell you about these tests, these studies that have shown that lipstick ain't what we thought. And what's in lipstick can be certainly affecting our overall health. Lipstick industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. As of 2018, it is $11.5 billion industry. There was a Mintel poll that uh, analyzed lipstick and they saw that 81% of women are using lipstick and on average, women use 8.5 tubes of lipstick per year. That's a lot. I remember my mom had those tubes hanging out. 8.5 sounds like a lot. Well, regardless, there was a study that showed women can apply lipstick up to 20 times a day. You know, there's a spectrum. Some women don't wear lipstick at all during the week. Maybe they wear it on the weekend. Some women wear it to work all the time. But regardless, this information is going to be really important for you all to pay attention to so you can make the necessary changes to ensure your health. Remember, one application, 10 applications, 1,000 applications of lipsticks ain't going to kill you, but we're talking about lifetime. And what I'm trying to do is make these changes while we're young or whatever age we are, make these changes so it has a long-term effect. These are all investments in our health, you understand? So, uh, and, and easy ones, cheap ones for the most part. So let's all make these investments in our health and start moving forward. All right, so the biggest for concern for lipstick overall is heavy metals. Heavy metals, heavy metals. I did a whole show on heavy metals. If you don't even know what a heavy metal is, check out the show, listen to it, and come back to this show. And heavy metals are really important to talk about because one, conventional medicine, or actually all medicine doesn't talk about it enough, but they are real and they wreak havoc on the body. Why? Well, they create dysfunction. They bioaccumulate. Heavy metals will just come in, and then you pee them or you poop them out. It doesn't work that way. They come in and they, they love, they have an affinity for our organs, including the brain, the thyroid, the kidney, the lungs, the bone, the heart. And what happens is they displace all of these necessary minerals in our body. They say, hey, move out the way, man. I'm coming in now. And those minerals that we need for our overall health are now being displaced just because of heavy metal exposure. Well, they're also implicated in hormonal, nervous system disruption, immune suppression, DNA damage, digestive disorders, cardiometabolic diseases, reproductive dysfunction. So we know that heavy metals are basically gasoline on a forest fire, right? Regular lipstick usage increases exposure and accumulation of heavy metals. As per the FDA, 
The law, the law does not require cosmetic products and ingredients and other color additives to have FDA approval before they go on the market. But there are laws and regulations that apply to cosmetics on the market in interstate commerce. So basically what happens is that any new introduction of chemicals or even when a cosmetic is released, the FDA doesn't really, really oversee that. Not the way we think, right? We would go to the supermarket or the drugstore and go, oh, it's on the shelf. Therefore, it must be cleared by the FDA. It must be fine. Well, if you go back a few episodes, I spoke about uh, beauty products and like the cosmetics industry. And I spoke about how it's a self-regulating industry. So meaning I'm in my basement. I make a, I make a uh, lipstick out of rat poison baking soda and, uh, you know, synthetic coloring. And uh, I'm the cosmetics industry. So I run the test on it and I say, hey, FDA is good. It's fine. Let's put it out to uh, the public. That's a big problem. And that's how it is. That's how it is. So we can't put a lot of faith in anything else other than each other to learn. So check out the show. This is why I do what I do. All right. So because of, the, uh, because of this, consumers need to be more vigilant. We have to be more vigilant. We have to be vigilant on beauty products, especially lipstick. So initially there was an investigation, right? In 2007, by the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, right? And the report was called A Poison Kiss. And with this result, they used independent labs and they saw, they tested 33 popular lipsticks for lead content, right? They just tested lead. And they found that it was high in many of these popular lipstick brands. Well, because of this, there was a follow-up study three years later done by the FDA. And the investigation looked at 400, not 33, 400 popular lipsticks this time. And what they found was there was elevated levels of lead. Just like they saw in the cosmetics one before, 2007, the investigation, they found elevated levels of lead. And lead wasn't the only heavy metal. Also around that time, University of California did a study and they found that nine toxic heavy metals were found in lipstick, including lead, but also chromium, cadmium, aluminum, manganese, and a few others. Those are major heavy metals that I've done many shows on talking about cacao, protein powders, collagen, looking for these exact metals. Now we're talking about it on something that's applied to people's lips every day. So hold your horses. I'm going to talk about the uh, worst brands in the product review that they found, but I just want to put that out there that you know, a lot of these conventional lipsticks are pretty toxic, but aside from heavy metals, we also have to think about the synthetic chemicals and toxins that are in lipstick as well. Why? Well, a lot of these lipsticks, uh, the ingredients are derived from coal tar dyes, right? The color, to give it its vibrant color, they use coal tar. That's where the dye is coming from, right? The synthetic dye. And we know that they're toxic, specifically for the brain. Uh, and I did a whole show on, again, when I spoke about children and um, food coloring. Uh, toxic synthetic coloring. So that's something to look, look at, go back. You can look at that. Petroleum, petroleum. A lot of these ingredients in lipstick are derived from petroleum, right? And petroleum is basically what gives its lipstick, the lipstick, the shine, right? The gloss, but it's a known carcinogen, right? It contains multiple known cancer causing carcinogens and chemicals, um, as a whole. So, uh, already, something to watch out for. Now we know. How about phthalates? Now phthalates, I talk about BPA all the time. That's, that's a phthalate, right? These are hormone disruptors, right? One of the surefire ways is to be ingesting and exposed to phthalates. Well, okay, we can watch out for the plastic for sure. We can uh, watch out for any of the other chemicals that we're using in our makeup or a shampoo. But if we don't think about our lipstick, 
Well, that's a problem, right? Because you're being exposed directly to these hormone-disrupting chemicals. Paraffin. Paraffin is also in lipstick, and it's a petrochemical, just like I said, derived from like coal tar, gasoline. And these chemicals are, uh, or paraffin in itself, when it's heated up, it starts releasing these chemicals called toluene and benzene. Those are known carcinogens. Look it up. Known carcinogens. And... Um, you know, that's why I talk a lot about environmental medicine too, because when we think about new furniture, upholstery, upholstered furniture, they're releasing the same sort of chemical. So another thing, you know, you have your lipstick and you go out for a cup of coffee or it's heating up, you can rest assured that, okay, now we're liberating these chemicals into our body. We're breathing them in. Fragrance. We spoke about that, right? The umbrella term, up to a thousand different chemicals, right? We don't know. That's an umbrella term, but that's a chemical cocktail of synthetic ingredients. It can cause irritation to the mucosa let's say our respiratory system, our eyes, our skin. Um, so, and it builds up in our body, right? Right. So we're, we're breathing it in and then we're, we're using lipstick every single day. We're continuously exposing ourselves. This is a problem, right? This is why I talk about all this. So as a whole, now you can see, all right, well, there's a buildup of heavy metals. There's a buildup of these toxic chemicals and we're putting it on our lips all the time. And we don't know how they work together right? We only know how they work in a vacuum. We don't know how they work together. So we want to make a better choice. And I'm about to give you the choices. All right, product review time. Let's go over these lipstick. Remember, I just spoke about this investigation that was done by the FDA. Um, and what they found was, yeah, high levels or elevated levels of heavy metals. Now, remember, elevated levels of lead that's there's no safe level for lead. And this is why I really talked about uh, in the past shows with cacao and plant powder and collagen, there's no safe level for lead. So we want to make sure that everything is at the lowest, if non-existent. So some of the worst brands that were found by the FDA on their investigation of all of those lipsticks, Procter & Gamble, one of the worst ones, they're the ones who are making CoverGirl brand. CoverGirl is something that I remember when I was a kid. CoverGirl is probably the most popular, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, but probably one of the most popular lipsticks out there. L'Oreal, that was across the board found to be one of the worst ones too. Body Shop, Maybelline, right? That's L'Oreal, Body Shop, Maybelline. Revlon, another one that was found to have high levels of lead and other chemicals. NARS, CoverGirl, these are, I mean, I don't wear lipstick, but I know the name of these brands, you know, like I'm, I'm very much so aware because they're, they're the, they're from what I understand, like the top of the top or the most popular. Um, but it, th this is, and the FDA's uh, results were echoed or they were built upon the earlier investigation, as I mentioned, for the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, and they found similar results. So they did three, uh, they did two different independent studies, and what they saw was, yeah, okay, well, 2007, these, uh, li these lines of lipsticks had high levels of heavy metals, and then FDA did the study in itself, and that was echoed on that. So if you're using any of these brands, just move away. Now, you hear me talk about the Environmental Working Group, the EWG uh, Skin Deep database all the time. You can literally open it up, go to the search bar, type lipsticks, and you'll see all the EWG verified ones, right? Those will come up first. It's about six, seven pages. And then after the seventh page, then you'll start seeing the ones that aren't, aren't EWG verified, but also really low on the scale. So you'll see ones and twos, but as it builds up and it's, you'll see green to yellow to red, you want to stay away from the yellow and red because there's so many choices now. The... 
beauty industry when it comes to green and truly clean is really, really blowing up. So let's go over the top non-toxic brands. How about that? Mineral Fusion. You may have heard of it. You may have not. I know that there's over here in uh, LA and actually I think one in Chicago and Colorado, there's Pharmacas and Pharmacas, um, they sell a lot of uh, top top tier beauty uh, brands um, and, and, and also just personal care products. But they're one of the top ones in the environmental working group database. They, uh, I think were one of the first ones actually with the EWG brand logo, or they were the first ones I've seen in person. So what they basically do is they pass rigorous testing, rigorous uh, verification criteria to show that it's non-toxic, robust, and has good manufacturing practices, which is really important. Mineral Fusion uh, is a cosmetics brand that began in 2007, and it's known as the number one natural cosmetic brand. So when you look on EWG, I counted, there's 21 lipsticks on there. And they're made in the USA and chemical-free, natural, free of hormone-disrupting chemicals, not animal-tested, and they're a very transparent company. Already, boom, much better place than CoverGirl. Already, boom, much better place than Maybelline, okay? Another one that uh, really sticks out on the database is Maya's Mineral Galaxy. Another one, EWG Verified. Again, as I mentioned, rigorous testing, robust labeling, good manufacturing practices. They have 23 lipsticks, so more than even Mineral Fusion. Uh, that are EWG verified, they're botanically sourced, non-synthetic, no fragrance, no toxic chemicals, and artificial of uh, and free of artificial coloring, which is awesome. They are made um, on a per order basis for the person, never animal tested, full transparency. I mean, this is how, I don't care if it's lipstick, this is how companies should be in the first place. And another one that wasn't on the EWG uh, database was 100% Pure. 100% Pure is a company that is strictly uses purity standards of no toxic ingredients. And their pigments, their colors are not coming from petrochemicals, right? No, no coal tar derived chemicals giving it its color, but it's pigments from fruit and vegetable and tea. That's really important for me, right? So I know that these colors are not chemically derived. So no heavy metal dyes, never animal tested. Um, and if you look at, and I always like companies that really uh, are personable, right? It's, you, you can see the um, CEOs or the founders. You can learn about them. You can learn about their story. And if you look at their page, it's really nice. It started by a brother and sister in college and they were like, what is going on with the harsh chemicals in the beauty industry? So they started building this company and then the other co-founders um, had three of his family members die of cancer. So he's very much so um, dedicated to clean living. But that's, I like that. I like supporting companies like that. So 100% Pure is the other one that I found. So look, I know lipstick connoisseur here, but what I do know is how to look for chemicals. And what I do know is what the chemicals do. And what I do know is that conventional lipstick is a concern, especially if you're using it a lot or enough over time. And what I do know is that in today's climate, in today's industry, there's so many other options. So why not just take the better route, cleaner route, right, and invest? It's an investment. You ain't gonna feel the benefits quick, but over time you are doing yourself and your body good. All right, let's get my man Max Lugavarin here. I really hope you enjoyed that. I really hope so. And I'm gonna, and I promise you I'll be going in on not only lipstick, but every every part of the beauty industry in a whole series over time. So sit tight, I'll be doing that. And let's get my guy Max in here. We're gonna talk about nutrition. We're gonna talk about brain health. We're gonna talk about uh, antioxidants. We're gonna talk about how to stay healthy because he's the man about nutrition. So let's move on to the special guest. 
All right, everyone, today's special guest, a very special guy. I'm very happy to have him in the studio. He's a New York Times bestseller. New York Times, let me say it again, New York Times bestseller, all right? He did the Genius Foods book that blew away everyone. He's all over social media, very much so aligned with what I'm talking about. He's coming out with the Genius Life book very soon. Max Lugavere, the man over here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. G. Yeah, man, what an honor. It's, uh, it's, it's so great because what I've learned and what actually our mutual friend Michael was saying, he's like, we both are very much on alignment with the way we see things, the way we preach things, and the way we want to help people. Um, so it was just a matter of time before we crossed paths, and I was really happy that you were able to come on. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think we have a lot of mutual friends. You were on the podcast with my friend Amanda Meixner, yeah. um, and she called you a G. Yeah, um, which Dr. I, G, the Dr. G. Dr. G, the yeah. G, which I, which I you know, can definitely appreciate. And then I just listened on the drive over here to your podcast episode that you did on um, mattresses, which mm -hmm. I thought was really uh, powerful. So yeah, man, thank you. I'm just trying to, like you, I'm a foot soldier, trying to help people get healthier yeah. and, and you know become more aware of their surroundings and things like that. Some, some of the stuff that I've been really into is how you are not just focusing, and you are so good at focusing on food, but the, the toxic load, the environment, how that's affecting our, our whole system plus our brain which is why, not coincidentally, you probably stumbled across the, the bed one because we're in bed for eight hours a day, all our lives, and it's a living environment and we interact with it all day. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the environment, you know, it's, you know, I try not to like, and I, I don't want to fear monger, and I don't think that's not, yeah. that's, we don't, neither of us, you know, that's yeah. not our intent. Um, but the reality is the modern world is not good for us in so many ways. And if it was just like one thing here and there that were, uh, you know, out of sync with our biological yearnings, I would say, okay, you know, that's the cost of, you know, some of the, maybe the trappings of modern life. But the, the truth is that the modern world has become, you know, asynchronous with so many aspects of our biological yearnings and inclinations, whether it's our circadian rhythms, um, whether it's our, our necessity for movement yep. and activity or, you know, nutrients in our food supply, which has become rung essentially of essential nutrients, um, or the lack of sleep or the chronic stress or the fact that we're just inundated with these environmental toxins yeah. that, uh, we're accumulating, but we're not purging because we're not eating the right foods or, you know, engaging in the right activities. So yeah, it is overwhelming. And I don't think that it's fear mongering to acknowledge that, um, yeah. as long as you're, you're, you know, following that statement up with actionable advice. And thankfully, thanks to science and medicine, which is, you know, amazing. We, we have the advice that we can give to our yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and giving that option for people is empowering because they go, okay, well, that's terrifying, but what can I do about it now? And I think that that's where we overlap a lot. We're like, here, here's your empowering advice. Make that switch. So, for, so for you, what what have you been, what have you been seeing or coming across that's really like concerning? Let's say in your research or what you've been reading, as far as environmentally that's affecting our our health, our brains overall. What 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 are some what are some things? I mean, I think you do an amazing job of you know waking people up to like these endocrine disrupting compounds, you know, and their relationship to certain cancers, whether it's breast cancer, prostate cancer, and the like. I mean, I when I was writing my new book, The Genius Foods, it was uh, or The Genius Life rather, it was it was eye opening the fact that a lot of these chemicals, these compounds that have just been foisted into the modern environment. Um, it's been known for decades that they act in the body like xenoestrogens, you know, yeah. they're, they're these estrogen mimicking compounds or estrogen blocking compounds. And, um, 
and these compounds are not inert and they're not tested the same way that foods or supplements are because we're not expected to ingest them. But lo and behold, they enter the food supply. They are used to make our furniture. They're used to produce our electronics. They're used to coat store register receipts. They're used in our, you know, to make our dental tape, yeah. you know, if we use Glide dental tape. So it's like, they're all over the place. And, uh, and that was very surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, you know, what I think is most treacherous about them is that unlike, you know, typical compounds where the dose makes the poison um, and, and ultimately determines their toxicity, uh, you know, I think that these these compounds, like these endocrine disruptors, like bisphenol A or BPA mm-hmm. or phthalates or, you know, PFAS chemicals or, you know, brominated flame retardants, they, they follow an unusual uh, dose curve, it seems. That's what the sort of the speculation is that, you know, the dose make, might make the poison for certain toxins like arsenic and the like, but yeah. these endocrine disrupting compounds actually might be biologically active at a far lower dose. Mm-hmm. Um, they might follow what's called a non-monotonic dose response. So basically what that means is that it's really easy for them to dodge scientific scrutiny. It becomes a lot harder to test for these compounds because they might, you know, have overt toxicity at a very high dose and then not do a whole lot at a moderate dose, you know, where they might get a free pass. And then at a low dose, they might actually tinker with the way that our hormones function. And hormones guide everything in our bodies, as you know, from, you know, like sexual function to our predilection for fat storage, Mm -hmm. to our appetites, to our, you know, metabolisms. And then at varying points, you know, in our lifespans, they might have even more more profound effects. So if you're tinkering with somebody's hormones and they're still developing, that can have potentially lifelong implications. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that these are all deserving of close scrutiny, not just from our scientific organizations, but from individuals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I get a lot is, especially when I talk about these toxins, even the ones that you mentioned, flame retardants, for example, I'll get people being like, the the dose, right? We It's so low dose, it doesn't do anything. Well, that's not necessarily true what you were saying. Plus, we don't even think about the synergy of all of them because we're not in a vacuum being exposed to brominated chemicals, right? It's everything, everywhere, always. Couple that with, you know, the shitty nutrition that we eat. And we're, we're kind of like creating a soup where yeah. there can be long-term disease uh, for these folks. So I'm glad that you said that because people people seem to downplay a lot of this. And I saw, I saw one of your posts, you, it was simple as saying like the plastic in your house and then replacing that with glass. Yeah. How important just one move like that can be long-term for a whole family, right? Crucially important. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did as soon as I started doing, doing the research and, and realizing how, you know, easily able these plastic, um, you know, related compounds are able to leach into the food. I got rid of all the plastic Tupperware in my house and I def- I had, you know, a lot and I was using it because I was like, why not? Yeah. Um, I'm not eating the plastic, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the plastic has the ability to degrade over time. Um, you know, if you're putting acidic foods in the plastic or yeah. even hot food leftovers in, in, in plastic, um, that's not really a sound practice and, you know, doing it once or twice, again, it's not going to probably be a problem for you, but, you know, I think the rule that I set for myself and that I kind of implore my readers is to just become more mindful about what like the day in day out, like what you're doing in your own home mm. looks like, because that's really where the sort of, cr- we get into those chronic rhythms, mm. which you know, it's those rhythms that dictate by and large your health. It's not, you know, when you go out for, you know, dinner once a week on date night and you eat, 
you know, like restaurant food or unhealthy oils, sure. maybe if it's yeah. that one, you know, if it's that one meal that no one meal has the ability to sway your health either in the direction of health or disease. Um, but it's that like chronic, it's like what we're showing up day in and day out. So that's why in the home, I think it's really important to, um, make sure that you're using glass or stainless steel as opposed to plastic or, um, you know, making sure that you're buying, bringing wild salmon into the house as opposed to farmed, you know, mm-hmm. eat farmed when you're out at a restaurant, if that's the best option. Whenever for you. you do go, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we're human and some, it's, you know, eating, sticking to like, you know, a, a quote unquote perfect diet. It's like not going to be feasible for your average person. It's not even feasible for me. Yeah. And so. then adding extra stress to people who don't need it. Yeah. Right. But like what you said is rhythms, right? What morning to night, how you're flowing through the house, eating, exposures, walking, exercise, sleep, light, dark. That's the most important thing. And what I tell people is get back to nature. Like as much as closest to nature as you can start there. And that's usually really powerful for people because they go, well, what does nature look like? Because usually I'm on the computer in a cubicle typing the whole time, eating the cafeteria food. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that anyone you talk to or work with, same thing. Right. Getting back to nature. Yeah. Getting back to nature. I mean, you know, like you can say that on social media these days and you'll get people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, it's a a nature fallacy. Like arsenic is natural. You know, like you can't say anything these days. No, you can't. Without getting uh, somebody, you know, coming out of the woodwork and and throwing shade. But, um, but yeah, I completely agree with that. Like, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm way quicker to want to, you know, put my faith in, whole foods, you know, single ingredient foods than I am anything that the the food industry is able to dream up because there's just been too many instances and not just the food industry, but like, you know, pharma or, you know, even the wellness industry for that matter, like has dreamt up and things just didn't play out in the way that, you know, that we had expected them to. I mean, there's just so many instances where compounds or food products have been sort of foisted on the environment. I mean, Take partially hydrogenated oils, you know, which are artificially man-made trans fats. I mean, people didn't just buy trans fats because of the texture that they had, that they that they acted more like saturated fats. Um, they bought trans fat. They bought into this this ideal of trans fats because they thought they were told that they were healthier. And what we ended up finding out is that trans fats are more damaging to your health than any you know oil that's in the in the supermarket, whether it's saturated or otherwise. So, um, so I just think it's important as a consumer to be um, a little bit more skeptical and to, yeah, to kind of like strip away all the BS and all the marketing and to just opt when you can for single ingredient foods, um, try to cut out the plastic and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. We can't, I remember I was, uh, one of my friends, uh, it was like an aha moment. We were at the supermarket and when you're in school, you're in a bubble and you're around people who are really focused on eating healthy and, you know, taking care of themselves. And my friend who wasn't in school with me, she's like, oh, well, it's in the supermarket. It must be safe. And that one quote, I was like, oh, well, damn. Yeah. I was like, that's that's a microcosm of everything that is going on. A thousand percent. I mean, how far does food need to be removed from its original constituent ingredients, ingredients before we can no longer call it food? Mm-hmm. I think that's like a powerful question to ask yourself. Like, you know, some of the packaged processed food-like products in the aisles of our supermarkets aren't really food. I mean, they're edible, Yeah, but like Big what, difference. Ma- what makes them food? You know, yeah. the fact that they have like a few synthetic vitamins like thrown in after the processing, like, 
by that measure, I mean, would you consider Play-Doh food? Like Play-Doh is non-toxic. It's famously non-toxic. Is it food? Why is it not food? You can it have has some calories. vitamins. I mean, it might have some vitamins in yeah. it. Is Play-Doh food? No. If Play-Doh no. is not food, then you have to, I think, with greater scrutiny, question a lot of the foods in the, in the supermarket because they're just as processed and, you know, they're... In many times, well, most of the time, they're worse for you, and they're not. They're they are usually depleted of nutrients. They contain unhealthy ingredients like refined flours and, you know, unhealthy grain and seed oils. They underlie the obesity epidemic, and so, yeah, I just think it's like, you know. And then, of course, there are people that come out to the defense of these kinds of foods, but um, but I think by and large, if you can if you can recognize what a, what a whole food is, and try to stick to those to the best of your ability. And and avoid the ultra processed foods. I think you'll be in, in you'll be you'll be doing your health a big favor. That's a huge rule of thumb right there. Yeah, that's a that's if any take home, that's a take home already. Uh, the whole food. Yeah, right. I think it's huge. I mean, and whole foods help your body. You know, detox. You know, talking about those endocrine disrupting mm -hmm. chemicals and things like that. Like when you're eating fresh produce, fruits and veggies, and things like that, especially cruciferous vegetables, um, you're giving your body the tools to to basically neutralize and excrete. A lot of the, you know, many of the of the compounds that, yeah. that we're up against, you know, just eating more dietary fiber is a good way to to you know mm -hmm. excrete some of these compounds. I had a I had a professor once call these processed food vitamin suckers because you eat them and our body utilizes so many vitamins to just break them down and protect us from them and detox them that they're literally sucking up these vitamins from you, adding to mineral vitamin depletions in people. Yeah, I mean, ultra processed, the, you know, higher consumption of ultra processed foods are associated with higher levels of inflammation and inflammation de depletes your body, you yeah. know, because your body needs to basically repair, you know, against the collateral damage wrought by inflammation. So it's, um, yeah, they are, they are totally depleting. They're not giving us what we need. And, you know, we know statistically, this is, these, we're not just pulling these facts from thin air. Like most people are overfed and undernourished. You know, two thirds of people in the U.S. are either overweight or obese. Um, half of the population has either type two diabetes or or is on their way there with prediabetes. Um, and ninety percent of people, even though we're eating so much, right? Ninety percent of people are deficient in at least one essential nutrient. Mm -hmm. So we're overfed and we're undernourished. And the at the root cause of all of it, I think, are these ultra processed foods, which. Yeah which, you know, we're now eating with abandon. 60% of our calories now come from these kinds of foods. That's incredible to even hear. But it's true across the board, especially in these industrialized nations. And this is what we're given. This is what we're told is food. But if we think about the Plato analogy, I think that, to, that, that can actually like put a seed in people's brains about like, oh, wait a minute, if it's in this aisle, it's in the supermarket, but it's in the aisle, is this food? Yeah. Or should I go all the way to the right side or the left side and then get into the produce where it's like one ingredient? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, real foods, I like to say, don't have ingredients. They are the ingredients. Yeah. And that's like a little bit kind of exaggerated, obviously. Like, you know, dark chocolate has a few ingredients. Everybody knows I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate. Um, you know, but but generally speaking, like most people are are really kind of basing their diets around those foods. Yeah. Yeah. So you said before rhythms, but I want to talk about biological rhythms, circadian rhythms. This is something that's going to be in your new book, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I know you got a lot to say about that because it's important. We have hundreds and hundreds of rhythms in our body. Um, what what sort of stuff did you find yourself focusing on? Well, I thought, you know, I, the primary rhythm that um, I think most people are familiar with and that I think is most uh, important to just 
be aware of is the circadian rhythm, which mm -hmm. is the daily 24-hour rhythm that dictates by and large, you know, most if not all of the functions of the body, you know, like during the day we're primed for activity and alertness. Um, our, our metabolisms are fired up, our digestion is primed. Um, and then later on in the day, our bodies are, um, you know, initiate programs that are designed to wind us down and to encourage sleep and rejuvenation and, mm -hmm. and rest and the like. Um, today, because of the modern milieu of artificial lighting and the fact that, you know, I believe it was the EPA or the Environmental Working Group, they found that, you know, people today spend 87% of their time in their homes or indoors under roofs and then another 6% of their time in their cars. So 93% of, you know, our time is spent basically like not in the outside world. Yeah. And I think that plays a huge role in the fact that we're not getting adequate light in through our eyes where um, our proximity to food you know, really tempting, ultra processed, you know, hyper palatable food is ever present. So we're just eating around the clock and, uh, and it's sent our bodies yearning for routine really deep into the abyss. And we're all kind of, as a result, living in a constant state of jet lag. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I think it's the, the, the primary time setters that I talk about in the genius life are light and food. Um, which, you know, there are other time setters like activity, exercise, you know, can be used to set your body's clocks. But for the most part, the most powerful time setter that we have is light. And that's because light interfaces with our eyes. Um, it activates proteins in our eyes called melanopsin proteins that at a certain intensity, about a thousand lux. So these, these proteins are not that sensitive. Um, you know, if you were a hunter gatherer, those proteins would basically be flipped on when a hunter-gatherer would be exposed to the sun, even on like a on a on an overcast day, that would be enough ambient light. It would the proteins wouldn't be disturbed by you know the moonlight or stars or a campfire. It's like only sensitive really to daylight. These proteins, unfortunately, today you can easily walk into a CVS, you know, or if you have a large TV in your house and it goes white, you know, for a daylight scene or whatever in the in the movie or show you're watching, that light, the amount of light can easily reach the 1000 lux that are required to set off those proteins. So, you know, you can easily be tricking your brain, telling your brain that it's daytime when it's like the evening and that can mess up your sleep. It can mess up your, um, I mean, your risk for various diseases. I yeah. mean, sort of early days for this research, but, um, you know, melatonin, which is the primary hormone that's uh, suppressed by light exposure later on in the, in the day is not just a sleep hormone. It's involved in cancer protection. I mm -hmm. mean, you've, I'm sure you've talked about this stuff. Um, so yeah, getting that bright light in through your eyes, uh, early in the morning, I think is like one of the primary ways that you can kind of honor and set your body's, um, rhythm. It's just crucially important. So what happens is like you set off those proteins and there they speak to a small region of the brain. Uh, it's about half the size of a chocolate chip called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is housed in the hypothalamus, which is a lot of like neuroscience. But basically the reason why that I think is relevant is because the hypothalamus is like a part of the brain that, that controls, you know, anything having to do with survival, you know, as like, as an individual organism, like it controls hunger, mm -hmm. our drives for sex. It's like a really primordial part of the brain. Um, and so anything that's kind of like being handled by that region is going to be important, right? Um, and dictate much of how our, you know, our bodies function. And so after that occurs, then it sets off this, you know, hormonal cascade that continues throughout the day. Yeah. Um, 
So light, you know, light is very important, both getting adequate light for about a half an hour early on in the day and then avoiding, you know, your exposure to bright light at the, at the end of the half, um, at the end of the day. End of the day. So are you then, what about folks who live in North Dakota? There's no sun in the morning. Are, are you a fan of those synthetic lights or the, the happy lights? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as long as the intensity um, reaches a thousand lux, which is what, you know, it seems to take, you know, to set off those proteins for a younger person, um, I think that that, I think that those lights can work, you know, full spectrum light box. But again, it's important to know that like, even on an overcast day, the light that you're going to get is sufficient. So I don't know, you know, what, what kind of light they're getting in that part of the world. But I mean, even if you're standing by a window and it's overcast. You're still getting some. Yeah. I, I have a lot of sleep doctors who have said, go outside or get some light for, let's say 12 minutes to 20 minutes, just getting something. And, you know, you spoke about that rhythm, the cortisol rhythm too. I mean, that's going to, shoot up like it should in the morning yeah. and then go down and it'll help set your rhythm through the day too with cortisol. So that awakening response in every single way, you know, a balancing melatonin later in the night, it's so important. Um, again, a part of that key of getting back to nature, 100%. just literally seeing light. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's important to know that when you, as you age, you actually become less sensitive to light because there's a yellowing that occurs of the lens of the eye, typically as you age. And so that might be, that's a, an idea that I advance in the book um, that, you know, there's this like dogma that the, you know, older people, they don't sleep as well, right? They mm -hmm. have, they have more difficulty sleeping. Um, that could be one, one mm -hmm. reason, you know, for that, that, you know, you take an older person who has this yellowing of the lens and you throw them into the same environment that we're all, yeah. you know, forced to contend with and they're not getting adequate light during the day that they need, they need more light. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just a recipe for, you know, for sleep disaster. Yeah, yeah, big time. So, uh, you, so that's the that is the rhythm of, of we have so many, but that's a major one because it dictates so much of our health hormonally, right? The way we're reacting, the way we're going to sleep. So, viewer, viewers, listeners, get some light. Yeah, very simple. Mm -hmm. Just get get some light in the mornings. What about night? Full darkness. Yeah, full darkness. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. I think that they're of all the you know, biohacking gimmicks that are out there. I think that those there's are, a lot. yeah, there's a lot, but I think blue light blocking glasses are like among the most effective today. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, just making sure that you've, I mean, basically like I've been into a lot of people's homes where they have really terrible lighting, you yeah. know? So once the sun goes down, they flip on the lights. And I mean, I kind of take for granted the fact that, uh, in my, in my house, all of my bulbs are very warm in mm -hmm. hue and I don't really have a lot of overhead lighting. I have a lot of lamps that are at eye level. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that should just be like a given. You should definitely go through your house and make sure that your lights are of a warm temperature. And if you yeah. need to know what that, I mean, it's like orange, you know, that your light bulb should have a sort of orange glow. Um, I can't tell you, I mean, even in my own apartment complex in LA, like I walk through the courtyard and I see like different people's, you know, through people's windows and they have like these fluorescent like lights, yeah, almost everywhere. like CVS color lighting, oh. you know, that they have in their own homes. I'm like, what are you doing? It's everywhere. Dude, yeah. I know. And and the blue, actually for me, the blue blocking glasses have been very helpful. Um, but amongst that, like I went to Home Depot and I got some of that lamp, uh, the blue warm, 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 the, not the blue, the warm lighting. And then I put that in my room and it's just been so much better. The sleep has been of more quality, which is important. But yeah, I mean, those are simple interventions, right? A, a bulb is five bucks. Yeah. You know, start changing them up. Yeah. In my bedroom, I have just one light bulb. Like I don't, it's not a, I don't use the overhead lighting in my yeah. bedroom. Like I had, there's a bulb in the ceiling, but I don't use that. For the most part, I use just a, 
not super intense light by my bed and wow. it's just enough if I wanted to read something just before going to bed mm-hmm. that works but yeah I keep it like super it's like super not intense you know yeah. it's like very warm and inviting almost like candlelight because don't forget candlelight is not enough light to because if if candle if fire was enough to you know to decouple our circadian rhythm then a hunter-gatherer would be screwed. Like evolution just wouldn't have allowed for that. Right, you know? right, 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 um, right. So these proteins are not that sensitive. So you can have like a warm, not super intense bulb and that would be great. But yeah. I mean, yeah, again, a lot of people don't. Yeah, so that's that's going to be in your book coming up. Um, what else? What What's another major thing that you cover that you really want people to start moving, intervening on? Uh, well, I do, I do go back into nutrition a little bit, but I come at it from a different angle. Um, so what I talk about in the genius life is really the fact that, you know, getting your body healthy. So whether that's, you know, achieving an optimal body composition, um, or achieving better metabolic health are all going to, I mean, these are going to help lower your risk for, you know, various cancers, everything, everything. also, you know, brain disease, you know, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's disease, dementia, cognitive impairment. So I talk about how to get your body like healthy and, and lean. And I talk, um, nutritionally, I think what's different in, in, that I make in the recommendations of the genius life versus genius foods is I put a little more emphasis on protein, dietary Mm -hmm. protein, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I know people in the fitness community have an appreciation for protein, but I don't think people outside of the fitness industry really do realize what a powerful tool protein can be Mm -hmm. for satiating your appetite, for helping you build or maintain lean muscle mass, which becomes increasingly difficult as you get older. Um, you know, there's some research showing that people that consume more protein have less amyloid in their brains, you know, the, mm, the pl- yeah. plaque that characterizes um, Alzheimer's disease. So I put a focus on prioritizing protein um, from properly raised, you know, animal sources. And I provide options for people who are on, you know, more plant-based diets as well. But uh, but yeah, I think the diet, the diet component is different. And then um, I also talk a lot about uh, how to maintain like healthy blood pressure and mm. dispel some myths there. That's good. Um, there, you know, there's a huge relationship between cardiovascular health and brain health. Mm. And there was actually recently a study. It was a really large study that um, it was called the Sprint Mind Trial, where they found that people who had high blood pressure who were treated uh, with medication um, to a more aggressive target systolic blood pressure. Um, there were two groups and one sort of, you know, their target was, I think it was 140, uh, uh, you know, millimeters of mercury compared to 120. So the 120 was a more aggressive approach mm-hmm. for this older adult, um, population with hypertension. They found that, that the more aggressive approach led to a pretty dramatic risk reduction for mild cognitive impairment. Wow which is like pre-dementia. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, and it was just like a drug used to treat to treat high blood pressure. And so I combined that research, which I think is really, you know, amazing research, with another meta-analysis that came out, I believe it was either 2018 or 2019, that found that, you know, for most people, well, for people with, with, with high blood pressure, that exercise is just as effective mm. as any of these medications. So, you know, making sure that your blood pressure is within a healthy range, crucially important. And like the best way to do that is through diet and, and exercise and yeah. lifestyle. God, God forbid those three simple interventions, lifestyle, diet. And the funny thing is, is those three things leak into everything. Mm-hmm. And me being a breast cancer expert, expert, so much data on just exercise is so powerful. And then prostate cancer, exercise so powerful. So it just leaks into every 
disease or a degradation of what, what happens to our health, which is pretty incredible. Um, blood sugar is another thing that we, we talk about through Instagram and the, the work we do because we think about brain health and the effect with that. Um, and I know you're very passionate about brain health, as am I. We did a whole brain show because oh, it dope. was so important. Um, the functional foods for brain health, the, the cognitive impairments that come. Um, interesting. So you have, your, you have your personal story with your mom. She, was she diagnosed? Yeah, my mom had uh, a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, mm-hmm. which um, actually has more in common with Parkinson's disease than uh, the most common form of dementia, which is Alzheimer's disease. Um, and it took us a few years to get that diagnosis, but she developed it at a very young age. And, you know, it was like 58 when she first started to have those, those symptoms. And even before that, you know, she started to have thyroid, you know, problems with her thyroid and her heart health and her, I mean, my mom's health was seemingly a mess. And actually in the middle of writing my, my new book, she passed away Mm. and it was like, you know, the most traumatic thing I ever in my life had to deal with. Mm. And, you know, uh, that's what informed i mean my mom is the is the basis the foundation for all of my work yeah um, mine too really yeah she passed away from breast cancer oh my god yeah, yeah. actually and I, I heard you say that on, on one a, of the things yeah. yeah yeah so the same thing like that's what, what i tell you we align a lot but but it's incredible and i'm sorry to hear that during your book yeah as i was yeah. writing um and here's the here's the craziest thing which i, I don't think anybody <laughs> certainly not me would have you know would have expected is that my mom didn't actually pass from complications of dementia or anything like that. She, uh, Labor Day of 2018, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. So that was just, you know, I had spent years looking into brain, cardiovascular health, all that stuff, and then to just have this kind of crazy rogue diagnosis and to, you know, I was just, my whole family was like just dumbfounded, like blindsided, and it was brutal and tragic and awful and, it informed, you know, like the research that I did in in the Genius Life. You know, it broadened out beyond dementia because it just became so clear to me that that people are not well, and and I think that in many ways my mom was the canary in the coal mine for the Western way of life. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I vibe with that a million percent. Actually, I, I get it. So she was at a young age, but for us, you know, I'm in my thirties. Is it's never too early then to start making those interventions for our brain health? No, definitely not. Um, so I've had a lot of exposure to the world of brain health and, and Alzheimer's disease prevention. And in fact, I've been able to co-author a, a chapter in a textbook that is geared towards clinicians, like a peer-reviewed piece cool. of um, medical literature, yeah, which is you know amazing that I've been able to do that. Yeah. You know, I didn't go to school for medicine. You know, I don't have a PhD, but I, I'm just incredibly dedicated and passionate and... Um, and so I've been able to work with uh, one of my mentors. Actually, is a he's a well-known neurologist at Weill Cornell Medicine. He's one of the few Alzheimer's prevention specialists, and I've been able to collaborate with him. And you know, he was my co-author in the paper along with uh, another colleague. Um, and uh, and so yes, I mean that is basically the the foundational message is that you're never too old, and you're certainly never too young to start to make changes in your life that are going to help boost your brain health. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the best studies that we have, uh, it's called the FINGER trial, and it's, being, it's an ongoing trial being performed out of the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, and it's the world's first ever large population long-term RCT, randomized control trial, where they have about 1,200 people enrolled, and they're all 
older adults, you know, 65 years of age or older, they all have at least one risk factor for developing dementia other than age. Um, so whether it's, you know, loneliness, depression, or, you know, metabolic syndrome or type 2 diabetes. And they found that in this population, so again, you're, you know, the, and the whole point is that you're never too late. They found that when they took half of the people compared to Finnish standard of care, because the intervention was actually being done in Finland, that they were able to achieve a, an amazing 150% improvement on their um, processing speed, which is like one of the first domains to mm. be affected by aging, and an 83% improvement in their executive function. Wow. So, and, you know, a significant amount were able to prevent conversion to, you know, mild cognitive impairment and... Um, and yeah, and then we have that, you know, the sprint mind trial, which is amazing, you know, like these studies come out and it's just like, it adds to the narrative. It adds to the, to the, to the guidelines that we can yeah. have to recommend to people. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're, it's never, it's never, I don't think too late, but, uh, but I also like to be really careful with my messaging and that nobody's, you know, nobody's ever recovered from Alzheimer's disease. So it's always better to start early. Yep. Um, there is no cure for the condition and there's really not a lot of good data on interventions once um, the disease has set in. Well, there is, there is reason to, to be optimistic. I, th I would say, you know, just going back to the wonders of exercise. I mean, exercise does have a, you know, an ability to slow mm. uh, progression and I think you can slow with diet and exercise. Mm. Um, but yeah, nobody, you know, it's an incurable condition, unfortunately. So I think it's, it's always better to, you know, as JF, you know, one of my favorite quotes, John F. Kennedy, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. Mm -hmm. So yeah. not waiting for it to fall through and, or yeah, and it's like raining. not waiting for the storm. Yeah. Not waiting for the storm. Cause exactly. Alzheimer's man or any form of dementia, really, it's like the storm. Yeah. And that's a big statement for just the of American population because we, we wait. We wait till something's broke and yeah. then, you know, but uh, being proactive is really important. And that's what I heard. Like there's so much you can do right now in your youth for your brain health, setting the precedent for the future, especially if you have that predisposition in the family, there's no other excuse now, like getting that exercise, getting those foods that you mentioned in your first book. Um, so what are some, let's say, let's say I, I, I never read your book. I never heard any of your stuff. Let's just say today we're talking and the viewers and listeners who haven't, what are some things we can do right now? Yeah. Well, eating a, eating a healthy diet. We already kind of covered the diet yeah. the topic, but I mean, you know, what I call genius foods is not, it's not like a scientific term, but these are foods that I think are going to give your brain, based on data, the best like nutrients that it needs to create healthy new brain cells and to protect, importantly, protect those brain cells as you age. So foods like wild salmon, um, dark leafy greens, uh, cruciferous vegetables, um, Grass-fed beef. I'm a huge, you know, advocate of, uh, you know, consumption of of grass-fed beef. You know, I think it's a, I think mm. it's a really powerful health food. Um, and uh, chocolate, you mentioned dark chocolate. Yeah. I think is crucial. Um, nuts, you know, almonds, mm. macadamia nuts. Uh, almonds, I think, are great in particular because they're a great source of magnesium, mm -hmm. and they also provide vitamin E, which is Vitamin E, you know, fat-soluble antioxidants are of particular relevance to the brain because the brain is made of fat. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're eating vitamin E, it's going to help to protect your brain cells from aging and decay, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, extra virgin olive oil should be the primary fat that you use. Uh, people always ask me about butter and coconut oil and things like that. 
Um, the the weight of the evidence is in favor of extra virgin olive oil, mm-hmm. um, just powerful, powerfully anti-inflammatory, and it's a fat that humans have been crushing olives and making and using for eight thousand years. Yeah, so, yeah. So just dressing your food with it or cooking with it. Yeah, you can cook with it. It's a myth that you can't. I mean, mm. you know, low to medium temperatures, it's totally fine. At low, to cook. yeah, okay, yeah. okay, cool. So, fine to cook. If you're gonna sear like a steak or a piece really of hot, like stir fry, no. Yeah, then like you know, use a more saturated fat. What you don't want to use are are uh, you know, the industrial oils like canola, corn, soybean oil, mm-hmm. um, those are super, super unhealthy. Really high in inflammatory molecules, right? Yeah, there was, you know, we've been just like, these oils haven't been around prior to 100 years ago, you know, and now we've just, you know, they've our food supply has become saturated in them. And they, there was actually a study um, by... So I forget, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's like Stefan Guane or something. He's like a nutrition researcher, obesity expert actually. But he published a study finding that the amount of these fatty acid components that come from these grain and seed oils have increased in human adipose tissue, like our fat cells, mm-hmm. by like 150% just yeah. over the past 50 years. And one of the big problems with these, with these oils, uh, corn oil, soybean oil, canola, is that they integrate into our LDL particles. And they make those particles more prone to oxidation, which mm-hmm. is like the root cause of, you know, atherosclerosis and, mm-hmm. and you know, heart disease. Yeah, so, yeah. But, but brain dysfunction, all of that. All that. Which is pretty incredible because how many restaurants across the country use these vegetable oils or how many cabinets do we see them in? They're cheap, you know, and this isn't even talking about like their quality, whether or not they are, they're treated organically or not. This is just literally their inherent nature, yeah, which is a problem. They all possess uh, trans fats, um, you know. So artificially created trans fats. We know. I think I mentioned, you know, that they partially hydrogenated oils have been banned, but trans fats still are in the food supply, and they're found in small but significant amounts in these grain and seed oils. So mm. anytime you consume canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, grapeseed oil they're all going to contain up to 5% trans fats. And, you know, it's not like we're eating a gram or two of these fats here and there. I mean, we're literally pouring them on our salads Man. because they're the primary oils used in commercial salad dressings, for example, or used to fry or saute foods in, in restaurants. So we're eating a significant amount of these fats and therefore ingesting a huge amount of um, trans fats for which there is no safe level of, of consumption. You know, mm-hmm. they're pro-inflammatory. They damage heart tissue. They you know, can negatively affect your memory, even if you're young and healthy and they're related to increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. So you definitely want to avoid those oils to the best of your ability. Yeah. I mean, the dose makes the poison there as well, of course, but, um, but we're just, you know, so if you're at a restaurant once in a while and you, you know, don't freak yourself out about them, but in your home, make sure that in your home, you don't have any of that stuff around. The home rhythms, as you the mentioned. The home rhythms, yeah. Yeah, so so then what oils or what, what cooking, uh, what, what should we cook with, basically? Yeah, I would say extra virgin olive oil is like number one, followed by avocado oil, um, because, you know, these fats are pri- primarily monounsaturated fat. Um, people have genes that dictate, you know, to a, to a significant degree, I think, how they respond to saturated fats. Mm-hmm. Um, so you may be able to use lots and lots of butter in your food, you know, if you enjoy that, depending on genes. But um, because I don't know who's listening to this podcast or who hears me on TV or whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, by, the, by and large, the healthiest, the safest bet 
um, and it's going to be the best for you. Oil to use is extra virgin olive oil followed by um, avocado oil. So everyone should stock their cabinets right now. Yeah, go to Whole Foods, go somewhere, get them. Extra virgin. Yeah, I mean, I don't even really use avocado oil. I yeah. use I use extra virgin olive oil, but um, you know, a lot of people because it is better for you. Extra virgin olive oil is better for you than avocado mm-hmm. oil, but because uh, it's got these phytochemicals in it that are really that are really you know beneficial. But um, and there is a place for you know still butter and things like that. You know, as I mentioned, if you're using if you're doing high heat cooking, you know, like searing something, you can use butter certainly. Mm-hmm. And like, like I probably consume about a tablespoon of butter, you know, a day. Uh, it's got vitamin A in it, like preformed vitamin A. So it's not butter's not the sort of dietary demon that it was that it once was considered. But um, but yeah, I mean by and large, I'm I'm actually like making an effort to have extra virgin olive oil every day, like a every tablespoon day. or two. You know? Yeah, I heard you saying somewhere like you'll douse your morning, what do you eat in the morning? Something in the morning with Occasionally oil. like a big salad in the Yeah, morning. the big salad. Yeah, big yeah. fatty salad. Yeah, I heard that somewhere that you were saying that. I was like, yeah, that's good, man. You're just right from the get-go in yeah. the morning getting it all in. Yeah, I try or, you know, I mean, that's a good thing. People people that do that, there's, there's research that shows that people who eat a big salad every day um, have brains that perform up to 11 years younger. That's amazing. 11 yeah. years? Yeah. Jesus. I mean, look, correlation, not not causation, but they found that, like, that's a that's a practice associated with reduced brain aging by up to 11 years. That's all you got to tell me. Yeah. You know? There you go. Ser- seriously. And that's an easy intervention, yeah. right? Because you're getting in those nutrients, those colored... This is what I say, variety, colors, just get them in at the end of the day. Um, so that's that's pretty amazing. Uh, what is there anything else that we, we should know as viewers and listeners that really is important for you to relay to us. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up color. Um, actually, some of the most valuable compounds in uh, our, our produce and what I talk about in the Genius Life, and I've talked about them in Genius Foods too because I think that m- more people need to know about these compounds, are carotenoids mm-hmm. uh, like lutein and zeaxanthin. I think um, people who are familiar with them might be familiar with them um, because of how they relate to eye health. So about six milligrams per day of combined lutein and zeaxanthin can help prevent uh, age-related macular degeneration. But I advance these compounds. I think that they're worth knowing about um, for more than just your eye health because they've been shown recently to accumulate in the brain and that their, their presence in the brain is associated with better cognitive aging. And so going beyond just observation, they've done clinical trials where they've given younger people supplemental lutein and zeaxanthin uh, of about uh, at a dose of about twelve milligrams a day, mm-hmm. so double than the do- double the dose that you need to prevent you know aid, to help prevent age related macular degeneration. They find that even in these young and healthy people, they see uh, up to a twenty percent improvement in their cognitive wow. function, in their visual processing speed. Wow! So you know that's like amazing because young people are already thought to be like at the peak right of their of their brain power. So anything that you can do, like people are spending money on like nootropic drugs and things I like that. I was thinking about that, yeah. Or if you're an athlete, like, yeah. you got to be on this stuff. Yeah, you got to be on it. Lutein and zeaxanthin. And that's the beautiful thing about these, uh, you know, dark leafy greens and, and, and vegetables is that these, wherever you see color in the, in the produce section, they're going to be rich in, um, for the most part, lutein and zeaxanthin. So, mm. for example, a half a cup of um, cooked kale. So it's just like a tiny amount of cook, cooked mm-hmm. kale has those 12 milligrams in Amazing. it of lutein and zeaxanthin. Amazing. Yeah. And instead you, of taking a supplement. Instead of taking a supplement. So that's why, that's like one of the amazing things about eating this big salad every day. In a big bowl of kale, you're getting probably 24, 
you know, you're probably getting double. You're probably getting 24 grams com- combined lutein and zeaxanthin. Yeah. And the and the important thing to to keep in mind when you're going for that salad, which is important, that these these carotenoids are fat soluble, so they're only absorbed, they're only utilized when you consume them with fat. So you definitely want to. That's why you know I make the recommendation to douse your your greens in extra virgin olive oil, which helps those those carotenoids enter circulation and get to your brain. That's so they're amazing. bomb. Like I don't think enough people are talking about those. No, no, not even in school did we. I mean, we 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 learned about them, but we didn't really talk about what you're talking about. So that's so important. And you see them at the super, uh, like the the drugstore, for example. And it'll be in the eye section. You yeah. know, um, maybe they'll mix it up with some fish oils or something, but you don't really see it for brain health. It's not like one of the top things for brain health. No, you don't. There's uh, people talk about them, yeah, for eye health, but these are like, you got to know about these for your brain. Yeah. Interestingly enough, a lot of eyes and brain supplements cross over so much. They're, I mean, they're connected, right? They're connected. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have neurons in your eyes, like yeah. your eyes are yeah. brain tissue, essentially. Yeah. yeah. You know? Essentially. So it's, it's amazing stuff. So I love to hear that. Um, so everybody go get some lutein, zeaxanthin in your food. Yeah right? Or just eat your salad in the morning. Um, all right, man, anything else before we cut it, we cut off the show and, uh, and, and move forward? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just super excited to have had this opportunity and to talk, you know, to A, meet you, then, you know, talk to you and have this conversation with you. What you're doing is so great. Um, and yeah, you know, I just think it's like, there's so much information out there. At the end of the day, people just need to like take this information and like act on it because information is not, you know, it's not really that valuable if what you're doing is you're filing it away into the recesses of your mind. You know, you got to like keep it front and center and like act on it. Um, cause you only get one life, you know, yeah. we were just talking about this before we started rolling. Like what happened with Kobe? You know, I don't know anything about sports. I don't know anything about Kobe, but like even I was touched yeah. by the fact that this guy, you know, who was so beloved and so talented and so successful, right? Like th- that tragedy befell him. And I think it's a powerful reminder to people that, you know, you only get one go around and time is not guaranteed to anybody. And I experienced this personally, tragically with my mother. You know, mm-hmm. my mom was torn away from me, you know, at such a young age. And I think about it every single day. Um, but that applies to like all of us, you know, like we can, you know, any of us can go at any time, you know. And so I think it's really important to make sure that you're doing what you can um, to not only live like the healthiest lifestyle that you can, uh, but also to like kind of teach, you know, to do what you're doing, what I try to do, what, you know, a lot of people are doing, but like to spread this information. Yeah. So man. if you're listening to this podcast, spread the word about it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's, man, that's what you do. You put out that actionable info. You don't make it confusing for people. You just like, here, this this will help make this intervention. And like you beautifully said, like that that can change, like giving back, sort of like a sort of like a moral duty that we have, especially with what we're, what our experiences, how they overlap. Um, so how do people, what's your Instagram? At Max Lugavere, okay. uh, L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E, Max Lugavere. And then, yeah, pick up uh, my new book. It's called The Genius Life. When? It comes out March 17th. So Already ordering it. Yeah, dope. Or It's going to be on audio, you know, audible, um, but get, get the physical copy. And then uh, if you pre-order, we've got some cool bonuses at geniuslifebook.com. Yeah, and then the the Genius Foods was the other book. So if you haven't read that, check that out. You'll get everything you need in these two books, all right? So uh, thank you, my man, for coming. I appreciate you, everything you're saying, and uh, much love. Thanks, Dr. G. You really are a G.
Max Lugavere, there you go. I needed an autograph before he left. That was an amazing conversation. I learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot. Um, that book that's coming out is going to be on fire, um, The Genius Life. So uh, yeah, I, I, really, I really hope that it's helpful for you and you can tell those that you love. And if those that you love aren't listening to the show, put them on the show. Get them going. It's going to be really helpful for everyone. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you for taking the time and looking forward to seeing you next week. Much love. Have a good week.